Hey there, folks. Is the inflation bubble finally over? And if so, what will it mean for 2024? I'm Aaron Young. Today, we'll find out. Now, streaming right around the world, this is Ticker Today. Hello, great to be with you wherever you are joining us from. Also on Ticker Today, Taylor Swift's deepfake makes an explicit move on X, but first... So amidst the economic changes, consumer spending continues to grow the economy, even as a key inflation indicator inches closer to the Fed Reserve's target. For more, we're joined by Kyle Rodder from Capital.com. Great to see you, of course. Um, talk to us about consumers and how they're actually driving the economic resilience at the moment. Yeah, well, we had some really key data last week, Friday in particular, around uh, obviously the PCE index, which is the Fed's chosen inflation gauge, but also within that, the read on personal spending, and it is incredibly strong in the United States. So it's really contributing to this reasonably remarkable uh, dynamic in the US economy at the moment that inflation is coming down. The PCE index was as low as it's been since the start of 2021 at 2.9% and heading closer to the Fed's target of about 2%. But personal spending continues to hold up. And of course, the US economy is basically 66 to well, 70%, depending on uh, the metric that you use, uh, driven by, by household consumption. Uh, so it's suggesting that we're getting this very, very rare environment of resilient demand as well as falling inflation. Uh, and it's been reasonably positive for markets and, and people are now talking again about uh, a soft landing, so to speak, for the US economy. We talk about a soft landing. Many have been talking about the concept of a recession for quite some time. Looks like we've been able to, to avert it here. Um, talk to us about how the declining inflation gauge actually could impact the Fed Reserve's policy decisions this year. I guess the big question is, when will rates be cut? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, this is probably where things get a little bit complicated because on one side of the argument is that if we're continuing to see demand so strong, there's really no need to be lowering interest rates in this environment. But what we have heard from the Fed, especially at the back end of last year, is that they're willing to lower rates as inflation comes down to keep what we call real rates effectively steady. So if you have, say, um, inflation at 2.5%, they want to keep uh, uh, real rates at around 2%, which makes uh, the, the federal funds rate somewhere around 4.5%, because for the Fed, it's real rates that are more important and more reflective of whether it's expanding the economy or contracting the economy. But what we have seen over the last few weeks is that at least at the start of the year, we had about six rate cuts priced into the market, which would suggest uh, a far more aggressive uh, a pace of tightening than what the Fed is expecting, and one that is much more consistent with an economic slowdown. Over the last few weeks, that has come out. We're now looking, going into this week's Fed meeting, uh, about four to five rate cuts uh, in the year ahead. And again, that's much more consistent with that soft landing story. So markets are expecting rate cuts to come this year, but it's all about how many times they cut and why they cut. And at the moment, the view is, is that they'll cut just as inflation continues to fall down. But of course, that depends on that continuing to happen and making sure that uh, the strong demand environment that we are seeing doesn't result in maybe somewhat of a lift off in inflation or at least much more stubborn inflation and making it slower to come down. And of course, that's a big point, right? After everything that they have done, the last thing that the Fed Reserve or Reserve Banks around the world want is to be the cause of lowering interest rates and seeing inflation skyrocket again. Exactly. And I mean, I think uh, especially the generation of uh, central bankers that we have in the United States certainly were born out of the 70s and 80s experience where arguably policy was cut too soon. And for a variety of reasons, including supply shocks, which continue to be an issue as we saw in the Red Sea over the, uh, over the weekend, inflation took off again. So I think they'll be far more conservative. They're a price targeting central bank and they won't want to uh, be too premature in lowering rates for exactly that reason.
Uh, talk to us about government stimulus here, because obviously that really helped to kick off inflation in the first place. The stimulus measures, uh, particularly in Western countries, uh, through COVID, after COVID. Now, obviously, we're seeing calls for more stimulus measures, things like tax cuts even uh, in Australia to try and help people through these tough times. What impact does that have on consumer behaviour? Well, on balance, the tax cuts are actually really what we're talking about is sort of where the tax cuts are distributed now because we're sort of suggesting that, you know, that kind of upper tax bracket will um, have a, a lower tax cut or that their incomes won't be uh, quite as supported by, by the size of the tax cut as, as the previous package. But we're seeing that the middle, middle income earners will actually get a larger tax cut as a part of these sort of next stage three tax cuts. The argument is, and this is quite coherent, despite the fact that Treasury actually hasn't acknowledged it, the economist community has been sort of treated with a level of cynicism, is that you're putting money in the pockets or margins, more money in the pockets of people with a higher marginal propensity to spend, which is to say really rich people don't really need to spend it anymore. They'll go and save that uh, tax card or maybe pay down debt. But people who are in lower incomes who obviously uh, have a far greater uh, need to maybe spend on their bills or maybe spend on other items that um, you know come quite easily to higher income earners will actually spend that money in the economy, add to demand and potentially add to inflation. So the Treasury has pushed back on this, but the economist community are actually scratching their heads a little bit because, again, in, in theory, you're giving money to people who are more likely to spend. And if they're more likely to spend, that's more likely to feed demand. If that's more likely to feed demand, that's an inflationary push. And, and just final, you know, um, you're a pretty smart guy. You look at this. I know this is the million dollar question. When we have a look at what has happened over the past four or five years, what do you think we will learn from this? We look at inflation trends. We look at consumer spending. We try and talk about economic strategies. There was a lot of concern that uh, lifting rates was a blunt instrument to deal with inflation, but it seems to have worked albeit with a fair bit of mortgage stress and pain. What do you think the key lessons will be? I think it'll be about getting a better balance between fiscal and monetary policy and making sure that they're working in the same direction um, and then also being used at the appropriate times depending on the economic cycle. And that's because during the pandemic, I think what we learned is that after 15 years of being able, not being able to, to generate any inflation with interest rates at 0%, what the economy really needed was a, a kick up the backside with a lot of fiscal spending to get everybody through. In saying that though, what we have seen over the last few years is that when monetary policy has been moving in one direction, fiscal policy, because of politics more often than not, has not been helping out. So it's about trying to balance those fiscal and monetary levers to make sure we get the optimal mix of demand as well as stabilization. Yeah. Uh, stable. All right, we'll leave it there for now. Of course, Carl Rotter from Capital.com always. Appreciate your time here on Ticker. Thank you. Thank you. Social platform X has taken the move to block a series of searches on its platform over the weekend. It comes after a flood of fake graphic images of pop star Taylor Swift began to circulate across the social media giant earlier the week. Some went viral and were viewed by millions of people, prompting alarm from US officials as fans of the singer sought to defend the performer online with the hashtag protect Taylor Swift. In the US, there are currently no federal laws to address deepfake sharing or content creation, but some states are taking steps. In the UK, however, sharing deepfake pornography is now illegal under the 2023 Online Safety Act. Well, what's the role of institutions in economic prosperity and also political stability and how is it impacting Argentina?
We'll try that again. Professor Tim Harcourt from UTS joins us now to discuss. Great to see you, uh, Tim. Talk to us about what is happening in Argentina at the moment. The new president there, some drastic changes. We all think of Argentina, at least I do, and I think of uh, the Peronism, which has continued even to this day in their politics, uh, back from Juan and Eva Peron. Um, talk to us about what we're seeing and the reasons why we have to see them. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the new Argentine president was sort of a big hit at Davos, uh, partly because he uh, flew a commercial airliner instead of a jetting in on a private jet. And, and secondly, he gave them a, a bit of a serve, saying that they're too much into collectivism and uh, uh, sort of do-good intervention, and uh, they need a bit more free markets and libertarianism. And of course, Argentina has swung between uh, sort of free marketism and, as you say, periodism intervention in its, in its history, and unfortunately hasn't got a lot to show from it uh, going in either direction. Yeah, very much so. It's been a basket case, let's be honest, about where the economy has been. Um, we talk about the new president as if he's the Trump of Argentina. Certainly after he won office, uh, Donald Trump was out congratulating him, almost declaring him one of his own. Um, talk to us about what that means for the region if things are at a point where they feel that they need a Donald Trump type character to cut through. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess the, the prism of international politics is to compare everyone to Trump. Even the Brazilian former president Bolsonaro was called the tropical Trump because he was sort of a right populist. Uh, but the Argentinian president, uh, I think, is more a libertarian. He's a free market professor of economics and has some interesting, unusual views on, on, on social policy and he's uh, a bit of an eccentric personal life. So very different to Trump and Bolsonaro, but he's really gone in hard on um, uh, terms of tax reform, in terms of abolishing the central bank, in terms of picking up the uh, uh, the US dollar, uh, hoping to avoid the dollarization uh, debt devaluation problems of Argentina's past. Uh, and he's also um, abolished, uh, for want of a better word, sort of woke departments like departments of equity and uh, inclusion in the Argentine government because he thinks uh, uh, it's causing, you know, discrimination the other way. So he's a, a Which combination is kind of, of the opposite, of right, of, of Peronism, um, the idea of uh, the right. descomisados uh, and, and bringing people together uh, to believe that it's a government for them, um, the social policies of that era, uh, the Peronism that, of course, we remember Eva Peron uh, and the story about her for. Um, that story has been hugely divisive in Argentinian politics, even until now. And to see a new president essentially taking a knife to these projects and programs. I'm talking about even um, commercialising uh, the, the national broadcaster, which you can imagine in this country, uh, good luck. Um, but trying to wind back some of the policies and you say liber uh, liberatism, but I suppose in, in a lot of ways, it's a smaller government. It is. And of course, Peronism wasn't identity politics. Uh, Peron was very much about collectively uh, helping the working class as the massive of which, masses of which Eva Peron was one herself. And in some ways it was because in the 19th century, uh, Argentina was run by the oligarchs and uh, the working class couldn't get a look in. And the response was massive intervention, which was well-meaning, 
but in the end, not sustainable. And that's his sort of reaction. What do you think we learned from that? That's such a good point. I mean, there's always calls. I watch some broadcasts uh, where at the end of every news story, they say, and there are calls for the government to do more. And you often think about what does that say about us where we expect the government to fix our problems? Um, There are some who obviously need that. But when it becomes widespread, is that where Argentina found themselves? Uh, I think so, and, and, and unsustainable, unsustainable. And the institutions, uh, there became a lot of corruption and, and cronyism, but uh, that's not just Peron, that was right across the board. So it's partly the, the quality of your institutions, and that's why, say, Australia, with the same resources, same immigration tradition as Argentina, has been a lot more successful with the same sort of endowment. Let's talk about your writings in the lead up to Australia Day just gone, that Australia has its economic and political institutions right compared to places like Argentina. Yeah, I mean, I've been to 60 countries around the world, Aaron, and I still think Australia has largely got its right, got it right. It's not perfect and it can always make improvements. But when you think about it, 90 percent of people that have come here or their grandparents have come here or their great grandparents have come here, uh, whether refugees or migrants or, or, or convicts, uh, they've done better. So, you know, the the the, um, the challenge is to make things better for Indigenous people and some other people of all. And that is the biggest test in itself, isn't it? Just how people are going as the generations continue. We have to leave it there for now. Always appreciate your time, Tim. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. And more Ticker right after this. You're watching Ticker. We'll have more in just a few minutes. 